The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. Welcome to Devotions with Bishop Daniel Dolan on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Nicholas Wansletter, filling in this month for Stephen Heiner. And today His Lordship will be discussing uh, holy water, perhaps uh, one of the most well-used, if not the most used and known sacramental in the Church. Uh, it's so uh, omnipresent in the Catholic Churches that it could be said to be as synonymous with Catholicism as candles and incense. So, uh, my Lord Bishop, thank you uh, once again for uh, being on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. Happy to be here. And uh, Devotions with Bishop Dolan is underwritten by True Restoration Press and True Restoration Media, with streaming videos and membership subscriptions available at truerestoration.org. Uh, that's all one word, truerestoration.org. And while a portion of the operating costs of this program are underwritten by True Restoration Press, we are truly dependent on donations for the continued success and continued operation of these broadcasts. So uh, I'd ask uh, kindly uh, if any listeners find this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you, uh, to consider making uh, whatever donation is possible for you to our apostolate. And I would also ask listeners to consider supporting the work of our distinguished guest. Uh, Bishop Dolan is, of course, a pastor at St. Gertrude the Great Church in Westchester, Ohio, just uh, outside of Cincinnati. And uh, you can find uh, information uh, about that, their apostolate there, and plenty of articles written by Bishop Dolan and other clergy at St. Gertrude the Great at sggresources.com. Dot org, and there's a donation button available there for you to uh, support Bishop Dolan's work as well. So, uh, without further ado, uh, let's get right into the show. And, my Lord, I, I know you always like to start the show with a prayer. Yes, and um, these things tend to get multiplied, Nicholas. I've got several, so if you indulge me here, so let's start with a prayer then, indeed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary Mother, of Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of the Precious Blood, pray for us. Next, let me read a prayer, Nicholas, that is recited by the Church every Sunday morning before the High Mass for the blessing of holy water. O God, who for the salvation of mankind has founded the greatest mysteries in the element of water, graciously give ear when we call upon Thee and pour upon this element, prepared for divers purifications, the power of Thy blessing. Let thy creature serving in thy mysteries by divine grace be effectual for casting out devils and for driving away diseases, that on whatsoever in the houses or places of the faithful this water shall be sprinkled, it may be freed from all uncleanness and delivered from hurt. Let not the blast of pestilence nor disease remain there. Let every enemy that lieth in wait depart. And if there be aught which threateneth the safety and quietness of the inhabitants, let it flee away at the sprinkling of this water, that the soundness of mind and body which we ask through the invocation of thy holy name 
may be safe against all dangers. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. You see in this prayer the um, this, the sublime mystery, but also the, one might say, the practical power of holy water. These are some of the topics that I hope to uh, speak about this morning. Uh, a, a while ago, there was a um, pious tenth priest in France who died, and I watched a bit of the film clip of the funeral. I was struck at the end by this French custom that I I don't I thought I had never seen before. That is to say, when the absolution at the catafalque was concluded, first the family and then everyone in the congregation came forward and took the bénitier, the holy water bucket, and sprinkled the coffin of the deceased priest. Um, I thought to myself, well, that's that's interesting. That must be a local or a French custom for 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 burying. Catholics. Later on, in fact, as I was preparing for this presentation uh, this morning, I remembered something that took place about 50 years ago, at the uh, which was just maybe at the beginning of the changes, at the burial of my of my grandfather. How the priest that was there had everybody at the at the um, cemetery had everybody sprinkle the tomb with holy water before it was before it was closed. So that must be, I'm thinking, I'd like to do more research on that, that must be a Catholic, a firm Catholic tradition. Now, as they say, wait for it. What have they done with that? Well, the devil hates holy water. We'll see why today he cannot bear holy water. It's insupportable to him. So the devil has worked in modern culture and modern funerary practice to replace um, holy water with Flowers. Now, flowers are a very beautiful thing, and they have an appropriate place uh, in, in the funeral. Um, and they themselves will become a sacramental next month. Flowers are blessed solemnly on the Feast of the Assumption each year in honor of Our Lady. But when they're not blessed, they're not blessed. And one of the ideas of blessing, you know, and of holy water in particular, but of all blessings, we want to talk about what a sacramental is today, is the idea of, by the by the prayer of the church and holy water, of taking some part of material creation away from the power of the devil into which it fell with sin, with original sin, and now purifying it and rendering it something holy now in, in, in the kingdom of God here upon earth. But unblessed flowers, at least in America, that's, that's the common practice, unblessed flowers are given at the graveside and everyone in the congregation or the attendants will, will will come up one by one and lay a flower upon the casket before departing from the cemetery. I, I'm thinking that maybe that's a replacement for uh, dirt in the old days, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, one sprinkled dirt upon the coffin. But also, I, this must be a sort of a diabolic replacement for holy water, and there is um, a precedent in that, because as I said, the devil cannot bear holy water. Uh, years ago, Father Chikada and I made a tour of some of the uh, main churches, pre-Reformation churches and cathedrals in England, and I noticed, especially if uh, we were in England in the autumn of the year around their harvest festival, which is late September, early October, the church, the churches would be all decorated with flowers, and the old churches would still have, from the, from before the Reformation, the niche where the holy water font used to be. In fact, they say that for centuries, when the English would go to the established church for their services, they would, by custom and habit, without knowing why, on entering, touch the place where the holy water used to be, and then on these festivals. The, the niche is now filled with flowers. Hmm. Very interesting sort of, a, sort of a replacement there, and also um, very sad. Uh, so let's uh, talk a little yeah, bit about I, I just what all of this is. Could it be a factor of that sacramentals in general, and perhaps even holy water, is now seen by advanced modern man as sort of a superstition and but 
nature abhors a vacuum, and therefore people will fill it with something, and they like flowers. And Sure, and so they fill it with flowers, or, or they put flowers in people's hands instead of uh, the holy water bucket for, for, that, uh, for that same idea. The SJS to be, because obviously uh, uh, important uh, occasions in life uh, require a ritual, and so it's very clever to replace the good ritual with an empty, uh, meaningless ritual, essentially, and also maybe even somewhat symbolic, don't you think, of, of just how, how the modern world uh, goes today. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, so, Millard, you mentioned that you wanted to discuss uh, a, a definition or of sacramentals in general, so perhaps that would be a, a good, this would be a good place to, to do that before we move into more discussion of holy water specifically. Absolutely. Um, The sacramentals. I like to think of and speak about a sacramental as a baby sacrament, as a minor or a little sacrament, with several important distinctions. The sacraments were instituted, uh, seven in number specifically, as we say in the profession of faith, by our Lord Jesus Christ. The sacramentals are instituted not by our Lord, but by his mystical spouse, Holy Mother, the Church. The sacraments have their effect uh, uh, automatically and um, you might say almost unavoidably. That is to say that if the right conditions are met, the sacrament has its its effect. It gives grace, and the particular sacramental grace. Now, a sacramental does not work that way. There are Latin phrases that are used to, to make that distinction. The sacrament, the seven sacraments work from the working of the work, we say in Latin, ex opere, operato. A sacramental works from the working of the worker, ex opere, operantis. Well, who's the worker here? Well, the worker is twofold. The worker is the individual. That is to say that the sacramental inspires us to uh, have a certain movement of the will, of the heart, faith, confidence, devotion, prayer, supplication, and uh, the sacramental thus achieves its good effect. For example, the sprinkling of holy water, the remission of venial sins. But uh, the other way that the uh, the sacramentals work is uh, by the power of Holy Mother Church herself. The sacramentals are instituted by the Church, and these uh, rites, so they are, there are sometimes rites, ceremonies, prayers, sacred objects are are uh, therefore endued with this immense power because Almighty God hears us through his Son, and his Son mystically is the Catholic Church. So it's the Catholic Church herself that's, that's, uh, that's doing these things. As I say, sacramentals fall into different categories. A, a blessing itself is a sacramental. Sometimes we have objects that are blessed for our use, food at the table, for example, uh, salt, candles. Sometimes we have objects that are blessed to set them aside as holy, holy water itself, uh, oil, mm, the blessed blessed bread, blessed uh, food at the table, uh, medicine. Those are automobiles. We're going to have the car blessing at church on, on Sunday in honor of... Uh, of uh, St. Christopher. It's an annual custom here. So the church has a blessing for, and a prayer, you might say, for almost every occasion or use in human life. And that's how we want to keep it. We want to keep our natural lives imbued with the power of of the spouse of the Catholic Church, the supernatural. Then there are are other kinds of sacramentals, too. That is to say, uh, specifically the blessed palm, Palm Sunday, the Blessed Ashes for uh, Ash Wednesday. That These are, are very well known and de- treasured and prized throughout the world. Scapulars, we spoke of scapulars in a recent, uh, in a recent show. Uh, blessed medals, blessed holy cards, blessed crucifixes. The idea is that these things, by a blessing, a little bit like a chalice or an altar or a church, are set aside as holy now, for God's use. So that's one kind of a blessing or sacramental. Another kind would be uh, 
food. You, you don't have to do anything specifically with your food after, if, if, if it's been blessed at the table. No, it's just been blessed, you might say, for our use. Remember that the idea of blessing in, brings with it not only consecration to God's use and for his glory, but also brings with it the concept of um, blessing or thanking Almighty God. That's more the Old Testament idea, uh, that there, there's, there's a thanksgiving element in, in all of these blessings. So that's a little bit about sacramentals, uh, just in, in, in general. So the holy waters, you might say, a twofold uh, sacramental or even threefold because the, the blessing itself of the water and the salt, the, the, the holy water is something which now is holy and we, we keep it in our churches. We're meant to keep it in our homes. And then the use of holy water, well, that's a sacramental too. Uh, sprinkling holy water, taking holy water, there's a... Um, 300 days indulgence that the church has given for those who devoutly, of course, with sorrow for their sins, make the sign of the cross with holy water, saying, reciting the, 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 the prayer of uh, the sign of the cross. Um, and then, as we shall see, uh, e even using the holy water, sprinkling it ourselves as maybe the blessing of the house, something like that. That, that, all, is, uh, that all is an excellent a thing to do, and those are all uh, sacramentals. Um, well, so, uh, water. Right. Go ahead. Oh, uh, no, please go ahead, Lord. Well, uh, the the next thing I think that I, I should speak a little bit about. See, no one could be a Catholic without being at least dimly aware of the immense importance of symbolism in our imagery, in our worship, in the sacred scriptures, in the lives of the saints, and in our lives. That is to say that one thing, something natural, the church uses to illustrate some supernatural truth and to assist us on our way through this life. So think about water, just maybe um, water in general, there's that beautiful prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, Be praised, my Lord, through Sister Water, for greatly useful, lowly, precious, chaste is she. And how, how true that is, and what, what a beautiful concept. Water is absolutely essential. You might say it's, it's essential for everything. It is uh, the means of life and of growth. It is the means of cleansing, purity in that sense. It is a means of alleviating pain and of healing. Uh, it brings refreshment, cooling. We use water for transportation, too, and we certainly use water today for recreation. In the old days, the people would, would, would think of the use of water that way. For example, St. Benedict in his Holy Rule permits uh, the use of the baths, but rarely, uh, and for those who are sick. So in the old days, there was this concept of you took a bath to get better, not to be more socially acceptable or just clean, but to get better because you were ill. And then there's a whole um, Renaissance concept of, but this goes far back to, of going to certain spas or springs and taking the waters. In Europe, they make a big deal about what kind of water they're going to serve you at the table and if you want it flat or bubbly and then you should drink a mineral water, and the drinking of mineral waters, which has minerals in it, uh, is considered especially efficacious um, for the health. And in, in modern world, for health purposes, uh, they talk an awful lot today about the dangers of dehydration and how important it is, as much for uh, emotional as for physical equilibrium and health, to drink enough water, just plain old water, but good water, every day. So that's all water and health, and then in mm -hmm. uh, life. But then also, this is this is the, the the chief symbolism of holy baptism, which is the font, the source of all the sacraments, symbolized by the water and the blood that came out of our Lord's side when His side was opened by the spear of Longinus at Calvary. Water brings death too. That's how we share in Christ's death is by our baptism, uh, the flood of Noah. Uh, drowning. Uh, water is as much a symbol of death as it is of life. And the Church uh, embraces both of these concepts 
when she um, institutes the, the sacramental of holy water and when she encourages her children to use holy water. So that's water. Now, did you know, do most of our Catholics realize that holy water is not just water that's been blessed or had certain prayers said over it? Holy water is a mixture of water and of salt. Um, this goes back to the fourth book of, of uh, Kings. It's a reading we just had in the breviary the other day for the month of, during the month of July about um, Eliseus, the disciple of Elias the prophet, also from Mount Carmel, is in the city of Jericho, which our Lord will one day visit. He's in the city of Jericho, and the uh, rulers of the city say to him, my Lord, they say, there's, there's a lot going for this city. It's a great location and all the rest of it, but the water's not good. That's a very important natural concept uh, that a certain place would be favorable to live in because it has good waters. There's water and there's good fresh water there. Or on the other hand, the waters may be brackish, they say, or sulfurous or something, and it's unhealthy. Uh, so Eliseus, by God's command, then orders them to bring him a clean vessel, and he puts salt into the vessel, and he pours the salt into the source of the waters around Jericho, and then from then on, the water in Jericho is very good, so much so that it becomes the orchard of uh, the Holy Land. And uh, it was full of trees, and that's, and that's how our Lord uh, knew, knew that city. Um, salt, then. There's um, tradition. You know how traditional Catholics are always getting into uh, all sorts of natural remedies. Well, there's a traditional lady I know in one of our, in one of our chapels who is very big on the uh, remedial aspect of just the use of salt and of water. Uh, it was pioneered by a, um, an Iranian physician uh, years ago, and um, the, the idea is very simple. If you use real salt, natural salt, they're talking not industrial processed salt, but uh, sea salt, uh, and then water. That this theory says, this doctor says, this is really all you need to maintain yourself in uh, in good health. So, what about salt? Um, salt, you know, is is used as part of the baptismal ceremony. I wonder if our our listeners were aware of that. How the priest puts a little bit of salt in the mouth of the baby, and at that point, either the baby gurgles contentedly and all is well, or the baby starts to yell and to scream, and you will not have a moment's peace until the ceremony is concluded. But the salt's got to go in. Why is that? Well, for all of its symbolism, it stands for uh, freshness. Salt does stands for soundness, for freedom from corruption, for preservation. Because in the old days, before people had refrigerators, food, especially meats, would be salted to make them last. And salt, uh, last of all, brings out the flavor in food, and we still salt our food because of that. And uh, that connects us then with the Holy Ghost's uh, most important gift, the gift of wisdom. Um, so no, I, I think I've okay. No, please. Uh, I was just going to say I think I've heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, but does salt also have a particular power as regards uh, um, the demonic and uh, getting like rid of demons or uh, evil spirits? Oh, oh, yes, very much so, because that's. Um, the, um, when the priest uh, tomorrow, when I when I when I when I go for the blessing of the holy water, the first thing that I will do is to exorcise the salt. The salt is exorcised, and the salt is blessed, and then the water is exorcised, and and then it's blessed. So um, certainly, as I say, it's a, it's a component part, and and anything has to be first of all have the have the devil driven out of it. And once the devil's driven out of it and it's consecrated by the Holy Cross and by prayer of the church, then it becomes indeed very efficacious against uh, against the devil. And sometimes people would keep blessed salt maybe in their homes. And the use of all of those sacramentals is uh, is really very strongly uh, strongly recommended. So, so the idea, Nicholas, is that is that we're um, contrasting salt uh, as as a symbol 
of, uh, of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the eternal wisdom of the Father. And wisdom helps us to see or to perceive uh, God and the things that are of God and to take delight, to, to uh, have a taste or relish. Literally, the, the, the word relish is used to have a relish for the, for the things that are of God, as people use relish for, uh, for bringing out, again, as with salt, the, the flavor of something that they are eating. So we, we contrast uh, Jesus Christ, the wisdom of the Father, with, the, uh, uh, with this world, with, with the foolishness of man, and with sin. So the use of salt, think of our Lord, blessed salt, uh, is meant to restore innocence and purity. And these two are, are, the, uh, are evidences of the presence of the Holy Ghost, of wisdom in uh, someone's, uh, someone's soul and life. And that way, a Christian is preserved against, uh, against uh, the, the, the devil and the foolishness of uh, falling into sin. Hmm. Well, um, for anyone who's just tuning in, we're just nearing the bottom of the hour, about halfway through the show. You're listening to Devotions with Bishop Daniel Dolan on the Restoration Radio Network. And if uh, we're discussing today with His Lordship uh, the sacramental of holy water, and if any of our live listeners have a particular question about holy water, I invite you to uh, call us at 949-272-9417. Again, that's 949-272-9417. So, uh, my Lord... uh, I think where I'd like to go with this next uh, is uh, you've alluded to some of the the uses of holy water. I wonder if we could uh, go a bit more into what are the ways that holy water is used, both in churches and outside churches. Uh, Holy water as a a sacramental is... um, used, as as we've already said, accompaniment to, to blessings, blessing oneself with water, blessing an object with holy water. And the symbolism here has got to be seen as the precious blood of our Lord. It's a reminder or a symbolism which elevates us and make, makes us to think of the precious blood of our Lord. And um, sim- uh, holy water is used as well for healing and for uh, the alleviation of pain, sort of a supernatural medicine. Just as when somebody burns himself, the very first thing to do before you do anything else is you put the burn wound under running water, under cold water if possible. And that brings an alleviation of pain. And if you're quick enough, you won't even blister because you got it in the water right away. So it's the same thing in the supernatural order. The church sees that, the application, the generous application of, of holy water. Um, then another use for holy water is um, that of bringing our Lord's blessing and protection over a place. So it's, it's a devout practice to sprinkle one's room at night before going to bed, to sprinkle the children and the family with holy water to sprinkle the house with holy water, not only on the occasion of a house blessing, but for anyone in the family, but especially maybe the head of the family, to do that as, as a sacramental, as a way of driving away demons, and as a way of bringing God's, uh, God's blessings. Specifically, holy water is used, however, as a way of driving away the devil. So if holy water may be used at times of temptation to drive off the evil spirits, even as holy water is used, and very efficaciously, in uh, exorcisms. There's a priest I know in Mexico who is an exorcist, and I'm always fascinated with his stories, of course, because exorcism stories are always very interesting. But um, And this is something I was thinking about in preparation for this show, Nicholas, is that, well, we know that a sacramental works because of the the, um, the devotion, the faith and the devotion of the believer, ex opere, Operantis, but what about if if um, you, without even consciously averting to it, sprinkled holy water on, say, a demon, on someone who is possessed by the devil? What would be the effect of that? 
What if you were actually even thinking of something else? You only had a sort of a vague general kind of an intention. It would work. Uh, Father, very uh, this presumes Father Stewardia. He often tells stories about um, sprinkling a possessed person with holy water and early on in the exorcism, before anything formal is done, just the saying of prayers and the use of the sacramentals. Um, and the possessed person will cry out, Esemigema, that burns me. It burns me. Why does it burn so? It's the power of, of holy water itself, and it is specifically powerful because of the prayer of the Church. It's the Catholic Church, the well-beloved, immaculate spouse of Christ, which is at work here, and the devil can't bear that. He just can't bear that. So it's it's beyond the, I want to say in the use of holy water, it's beyond the particular act of faith or of devotion of the individual. It it is the, the, This sacramental is invested with a terrific power from its association with the Catholic Church herself. Conclusion? Catholics should use holy water. They should use holy water a whole lot more than they usually do. We should be almost, especially today when the world is awash in sin and filth and ignorance uh, and revolt against God, we should be awash in holy water. It is very, very uh, powerful on an objective level for driving out demons. Uh, I, I don't think that I could emphasize that enough. Another use of holy water which also needs to be very much talked about and emphasized today and is rarely thought of, would take us back to the, shall we say, uh, as they say in the business, the top of the hour, how we started the show, with a story about the French, the burial of a priest, everyone taking the holy water sprinkler and sprinkling the, the, the casket with his mortal remains. Um, holy water is used, but should be used even by the laity, especially by the laity, for the relief of the poor soul's in purgatory. It relieves them very much. Um, the same priest, Father Fiordia, told me once uh, about uh, how the people at a, at a funeral, uh, um, say if he, he, the majority in his, in his town, of course, are baptized but had never been really raised as Catholics or practiced the Catholic faith. It's all this ignorance down there because of the Freemasonic reign, the, the devil's reign in that country of Mexico for so, uh, for so many decades. But the people always asked the priest, use lots of holy water, they would say. Sprinkle it, sprinkle it good. Sprinkle that, just sprinkle very, very well with holy water, the deceased. One might smile at this as a kind of a peasant superstition. But actually, the peasants are known for their wisdom. The Spanish is sabaduria. They have this, this wisdom. They have an almost an innate sense. Holy water should be used and should be used in abundance for the, for the poor souls, sprinkled on graves, sprinkled in cemeteries, and even sprinkled with a little prayer. I get the sense of that that's very traditional, to sprinkle, to take the holy water, make the sign of the cross oneself, and then sprinkle it, just a, a, a little bit of it, when one takes holy water, maybe in entering in the church, you sprinkle it for the poor souls in purgatory. A devout um, Carmelite I read about uh, this week also recommends a third use for holy water in this sense, not only for yourself, not only for the poor souls, but also for those who will die this day. And this, that's the same idea, sprinkle it or maybe make another sign of the cross sometimes, for those who will die this day, uh, that our Lord will apply his precious blood to that soul and forgive her all of her sins and bring her to everlasting life. Those are, and then these signs of the cross can be regular signs of the cross, maybe a little sign of the cross on the thumb, with the forefinger, or on the or on one's forehead. You can vary; it can be done discreetly. We should use holy water a lot. We should have it in our homes. We should be hounding our priests to bless more. And it doesn't doesn't matter if others, even other traditional Catholics, as with so many things, might smile at our naive credulity. It makes no difference. You just go right ahead and use it, and use it uh, abundantly. All of those things that water does for us naturally that I cited earlier, in a sense, holy water does for us supernaturally. We should really be living more with holy water. Um, that's well, a little bit... In, if I could just jump in quickly, 
Uh, Lord, you're, when you're talking about the sprinkling a little bit for the holy souls in purgatory, that just reminded me, my wife's from Poland, and she's told me that in Poland the practice is that, especially when entering or leaving the church, uh, when people uh, cross them, uh, dip their finger in the holy water to cross themselves, they'll then sprinkle a little bit on the floor right by the, yes. the uh, holy water font yes. for the relief of the souls in purgatory. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, and that's that, that. That would be a that would that would be a, a beautiful um, affirmation of of what I've just said, based on a living mm-hmm. custom. And how many for how many centuries of Catholic life in Catholic Poland does that does that truly uh, represent? Uh, the story of this. Uh, there's a story of a Carmelite. You know how Carmelites used to have uh, cells. Uh, in, excuse me, in their cells, as well as in the refectory, they would have a human skull. Sometimes it was a depiction, but I think at the beginning they actually were actually plain old human skulls. People had a kind of a different attitude to, to bones and skulls back then. But that, and that was a reminder for the Carmelite, uh, a reminder of, of death and, and the last things. And one time uh, there was a, a priest who is uh, the Venerable Dominic of Jesus is his name. He was inspired. He had a skull on his desk, and we just it, the thought just came to him to sprinkle holy water on on the skull. He said, "Whoever that was, maybe this would be of some benefit to his uh, to his immortal soul." And um, the skull spoke to him, and and the sea spoke to him rather through the skull and said, "More, more, more holy water," uh, because of all of these benefits that we're speaking about now. So those are two or three very good examples, but I'm charmed with that story from Poland. That's a great example of the living tradition of the Church in these matters. And then that's a reminder, too, how important it is to pray for the poor souls. As I said, holy water is more important than ever before because the precious blood flows so little. There are so few efficacious or pure offerings of the sacrifice of the masses, so so few valid masses throughout the world. Our faithful should get the holy water and use it in that sense uh, very efficaciously. Um, hold, I, I read in preparation for this show certain authors or preachers who would have said in the old days, you know, be careful about superstition, don't expect any healing to come from the holy water, never drink holy water. But... Um, Father Siorgia's practice is to drink holy water, and he tells people to drink holy water as a protection against the devil, diabolic curses or um, manifestations, as a way of protecting one body and soul. Just as you would drink a little bit of Lourdes water or La Salette water, something like that, with, with, with faith in God and devotion to Our Lady, so you could drink a little bit of holy water for protection, especially against maybe any diabolic curse or spell, uh, as I use these terms, people, again, might smile and think, well, how quaint, how superstitious, how medieval. But uh, no, not at all. All of these things go on in modern life. And we have the remedy already in our Catholic sacramentals. All we have to do is know about them and cast, uh, you can never cast aside enough or trod underfoot enough the whole modern, uh, rational, cold, rationalistic approach to Catholic faith. We all of us were a little bit raised that way, I think, and it's very important to, res- to go back to being a Polish Catholic peasant. It's very important to go back to being a Mexican Catholic peasant. Uh, it's that's that's wisdom, and and that's that's what we need against these incursions of the uh, of the evil one. Mm. And uh, I, I think maybe that's one of the things a lot of North Americans are lacking is we don't have that somewhat. The, the peasant uh, background or that same Catholic mm-hmm. culture, because I mean Poland today is as secular as anywhere else in Europe. Yet, you know, they still have some some things like that that are that are ingrained in people. And uh, as with Mexico, when you're describing yeah. how they um, since the 1920s, it's been a Masonic country, but mm-hmm. people still have that sense. They do. They have lots of holy water, Father. Mucha bendita, Padre. That's that's that there's something to that. There is some, and that indeed does uh, bring relief to the holy souls in purgatory. 
Um, there are other kinds of holy water, um, Nicholas, that I should probably mention. Other kinds of holy water. What, what's that? Well, there is uh, what's known as Gregorian water, which is a special kind of holy water that's made for the consecration of churches and of altars and of altar stones. It's a long, beautiful rite. It's a blessing. I, I made it once in Italy for the consecration of altar stones, I remember. And you pour into the water uh, blessed uh, wine and blessed ashes as well as salt. And then it's that's called Gregorian water because it goes back to one of the early popes, pope with that, popes with that name, uh, for, for those... Uh, holy purposes. Then, speaking of Poland, what could be more important to a devout traditional Polish Catholic than the getting of the Easter water, part of the, the tragedy, you might say, of the changes, the Bonini or Masonic changes that took place in the 1950s in the Catholic Church was the uh, putting of the Easter vigil so very late on Saturday night and the destruction of all these Catholic peasant or folk or popular customs. So uh, the, the Polish would come to church on Holy Saturday morning towards uh, the end of the services, unless perhaps they devoutly assisted at the whole thing, I don't know. But they would come with many vessels. And in Polish parishes in this country, you even heard stories and again, the, 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 the rationalists would smile at this. You heard stories of the old bushes, the old grandmothers sort of elbowing each other to get first at the big bucket or can that had the water because they wanted to get the Easter water and take it to their homes. And then that same Easter water then was used to bless the, uh, the, the basket of the Easter foods or the Paschal foods, which also was part of the Holy Saturday morning custom. In Italy, the custom was and still is today for the priest to take the Easter water and uh, to uh, use it to sprinkle the homes of and the businesses of all of his faithful. So on Holy Saturday morning and again on the Vigil of Pentecost, at those two ceremonies, the, the church in a very solemn way, you might say almost exhausting every one of and every possible symbolism uh, that, that could be found in uh, in the Holy Scripture. The Church uh, blesses water. Uh, it's blessed for baptism because in the old days that those were the two days, the two principal days for uh, for the for the administ solemn administration of the sacrament of baptism. But now uh, baptism may be done any time, so the water once it is blessed is, uh, at Pentecost is saved. Uh, Easter water or Pentecost water is simply this very solemnly blessed water. It is exorcism, signs of the cross, paschal candle is, is dipped into it. Uh, the, it's breathed upon by the priest. The priest touches it all, symbolisms, pregnant with a deep spiritual meaning. Uh, it's simply this water which is set aside before the holy oil, uh, the oil of the catechumens and the holy chrism is poured into it. So that's a, that's another kind of holy water that uh, everybody everybody should uh, should should be uh, be aware of. And are there then uh, uh, some things? Well, I mean, I, kind of a, asking a question. I think many of us know the answer to, but perhaps you can expand on a bit more. Holy waters that come from specific places. Uh, oh yes. Something different to them. Yeah, you, uh, you, you mentioned lords, but there, there's certainly uh, other places where there's a special water that comes from them. Yes, um, uh, Almighty God in the New Testament and and in the um, in the history of the Church has always used water as a means of blessing. I remember once. Um, this was visiting uh, in uh, Ireland. I remember once, uh, Father Chicago and I would be driving around to see different churches and, and relics of, or ruins of monasteries that the, uh, which the English Protestants had destroyed. Um, we would always, we'd pass by a little sign which would point out St. David's Well. So finally we went over to see, and that was an excellent example of the Holy Well tradition, which you find throughout Ireland, um, England, and Wales. And this St. David's Well supposedly was the custom, the tradition is that this was indeed uh, discovered uh, by St. Uh, David. And the, the use of that water was considered to be, is considered to be very efficacious against skin disease. And there's just a very short little prayer that one says, 
David Help, Dewey Wah, in the, uh, in the in the Celtic. Um, there are there are wells like that in uh, in Holy Springs that are to be found in in England still today. Holy Well is is, is maybe the best known example of that. So there are the wells of antiquity, uh, especially in the Celtic nations. Then in modern times, and it's not for nothing, I think, in modern times, beginning at Lourdes, our lady comes and she, she, you know, she gives very specific uh, instructions to St. Bernadette that she's to kneel down, do penance and kiss the earth and eat the, eat the, the grass. And then as a result of her humble penance, a spring of water flows forth, and that's that's the Lourdes water that may be used for for healing. And, and the sick make, you make a pilgrimage to Lourdes and, and bathe in, in in the waters there. And that water does have certain interesting properties. I took it once myself. It's one of the baths there. And they, they say that no no diseases are ever communicated, even though someone maybe who is, who is sick with something communicable have been in the same tub of water before you. Uh, you don't. You never catch anything, and um, they give you. They don't, they don't give you a towel after you get out of this water, this bath of Lourdes water. Um, you put your clothes on right away, but you, you're never wet and you're never chilly afterwards. It was a cold June day, I remember, and I, I noted that about it. Then um, I didn't know. I visited La Salle last year in, in the uh, in the Pyrenees in, Fr- in France. And um, lost, excuse me, the the Alps, the Southern Alps in France, and um, there, uh, right at the very beginning, there was a font of water that that was discovered under the rock on which our Blessed Lady sat, weeping over our sins, and that uh, that was that was one of the reasons that that drew the crowds of pilgrims was the story of the healing of an old woman who had been sick, chronically ill for many many years. Then in Belgium in the uh, uh, 1930s, there's uh, Banjur, Our Lady of the Poor, Our Lady of the Nations, and uh, there's a beautiful font of water there, and Our, Our Lady invites us to come and to, to bathe and then to use that water for, for healing. Um, so m- maybe this is meant, oh, in, in some sense, maybe, first of all, to as people get weaker and modern medicine in, in a sense, becomes more corrupted to give uh, a source of natural healing. But always the natural is points the way to the supernatural. Maybe that was meant to help us to prepare against the day in which we find ourselves today, in which Our Lady's prediction at La Salette would be fulfilled, that is to say the eclipse of the Catholic Church, and Rome having lost the faith. Again, so few masses, so little source of sacraments, valid sacraments anymore. But you can get Lourdes water, or one of these other waters, and you can procure to yourself holy water and keep it in your home and use these waters devoutly. And uh, that's, it's not the same as the real thing, the most precious blood flowing from the altar in the Mass or received in Holy Communion or flowing in the confessional. But nevertheless, it's a sacramental. And we are, we are meant to, to, to do our best. We're also meant to use, um, use the means which Almighty God and his goodness uh, gives us. So that's important to think about that. I think all of that. Now, Maud, you, you mentioned that when, uh, I didn't know that, that when people bathe the lords, you're not to dry yourself off with a towel. And that just reminded me of a question I had in mind from a kind of a practical perspective. If an individual spills holy water, that, that can happen when you're trying to fill your font or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be the proper way of cleaning that up since it's a sacramental, so you want to, I imagine there's a certain way to deal with it with proper respect? Well, yes and no, because holy water is actually meant to be poured out, to be sprinkled, in effect to be spilled. Uh, my master of ceremonies, one of my chaplains at, at the Mass last Sunday morning at the High Mass, was a little careless with a holy water bucket, and he spilled a great puddle of it in the in the, in the aisle as we were going down the aisle for the asparagus. And uh, but then I thought to myself, well, that's good. The more that it's poured out, the better. Obviously, one could um, even take it up and maybe sprinkle it with a little prayer for the poor souls. 
But um, holy water is, 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 you might say, it's, it's, it's one of its destinations is the ground or the floor. So really, I wouldn't say there's anything uh, to be worried about there because it's a sacramental that's meant to be used and, and just it's meant to go everywhere. So oh. the, the more places it goes, you might say, the better. Hmm. Uh, very interesting. Uh, we're getting near to the end of our show. We're about three-quarters of the way through. Uh, anyone that's just joining us or has joined us since the last show identification, you're listening to uh, Devotions with Bishop Daniel Dolan on the Restoration Radio Network, and we are discussing the sacramental of holy water. Now, in the last uh, bit of our show, my Lord, I know you mentioned in the pre-show that you, you've got some information on the history of holy water, yes. both in the Old and yes. the New Testament. So uh, I'd ask if you could share some of that with our listeners uh, in this last segment of the show. Thank you. I'd, I'd be very happy to. I was hoping you would ask me, Nicholas. Um, <laughs> has anyone heard about the business about these, these some, there are some uh, Jews, uh, or ultra-Orthodox Jews in uh, the Holy Land, who want to rebuild the temple, and there's speculations, and the, the evangelical Protestants who, for their own purposes, second the idea. Part of, the, of, of what's necessary for the reestablishment of the temple, which I'm sure Almighty God will never allow until finally Antichrist comes, is um, obtaining a red heifer, a red cow. Uh, and I came across that this morning, Looking up in the Old Testament, Numbers 19, the story of holy or lustral water. Holy water, sometimes called, especially in England, uh, lustral water, which comes from lustrum, the Latin for purification. So um, the, in the Old Testament, Almighty God gave very specific instructions for the making of holy water. Therefore, tell your Protestant friends it's not true that holy water is not in the Bible. And tell them to please, please to remember that all the Old Testament ceremonial prescriptions point the way to their fulfillment in the New Testament, and uh, therefore they should be read these old uh, uh, decrees uh, in sacred scripture, the voice of the Holy Ghost, read with great reverence. So, uh, God told uh, Moses, who told his brother Aaron, the high priest, that they were to obtain a red cow or heifer which is without blemish, and then they were to immolate it as a a uh, cow burnt for sins, a uh, burnt offering for sins, and as they slay the cow on the altar, they're meant to sprinkle the blood of it seven times, seven for the seven sacraments, over the door of the tabernacle of the Old Testament. And then everything about the cow, including its dung, Scripture says, is to be gathered together and to be burned with fire. And then to this is meant to be, this fire is meant to be added Cedar wood, hyssop. Hyssop is a, a herb or a plant that David alludes to. He says, sprinkle me with hyssop, O Lord. And the priest prays that, and the choir sings that, uh, during the asparagus every Sunday. Well, hyssop goes into the fire, too. And then some scarlet, which has been twice dyed. After the fire cools down the next day, the ashes are meant to be res very respectfully gathered together. And then, as it's needed... For uh, for purification use, the water is meant to be um, the 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 lustral water is 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 then mixed with the ashes, and you have Old Testament holy water. So, if someone, for example, was ritually impure, if he touched a corpse, think of Tobias in the Old Testament, well, then he would have to be sprinkled with this holy water or lustral water. Interesting, too, Scripture says, on the third day and on the seventh day. Interesting, because the church traditionally keeps those as third and seventh day as sacred days of anniversary for the poor souls, for the faithful departed. And then Scripture refers to, in the book of Numbers, this water as the water of expiation. Well, the real water of expiation, of course, is that which follows the precious blood coming out of the side of our Lord. But this points the way to the coming of that, to the sacraments, and then in turn to the uh, sacramentals. Scripture also says, Almighty God also says that, that, that hyssop, the, the dried uh, top of the hyssop plant, is meant to be dipped. That's how you get sprinkled with it. It's dipped into this lustral or holy water. In the, um, in the New Testament, 
uh, the first action, think of it, that our blessed Savior performed at the beginning of his public life and ministry was to go to the water. What water? To the Jordan. And he descends into the Jordan, and thus the fathers of the church say, especially uh, Gregory uh, Nazianzen, he imparts his uh, blessing to the element of water. So that now all the, uh, the whole element of water itself throughout the world is now susceptible to being blessed and used for all these grand and wonderful uh, divine designs. What's our Lord's first miracle at the beginning of his public ministry? It's at a wedding feast, symbolizing the incarnation. And uh, our Lord tells the servants to take the seven water pots of stone, which were used for the manner, the scripture says, the manner of the purifying of the Jewish people, and um, to fill them with water. And the water is now turned into wine. The, 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 there is here, as you see also in the offertory, the, uh, the blessing of the water and the filling of the chalice with wine and water, the offertory. There's this analogy of the incarnation. Water stands for our human nature, and wine stands for divine nature. And the two are joined together, commingled or mixed at, uh, at the offertory, at symbolizing the incarnation of our Lord. And wine also stands not only for the divine nature, but also for supernatural charity. Um, there are three things to say about the very early Christian tradition of the use of holy water. Uh, the, the saints say that um, it was St. Alexander, Pope and Martyr, fifth successor to St. Peter, thus at the very beginning of the second century, who commanded that uh, that the bishop, and that the bishop couldn't do it more than a priest could do it, but that the bishop should bless water and oil. So the first Catholic reference, if you will, to holy water, now in the New Testament, in the, in the Catholic Church, it goes back to the beginning of the, uh, of the first century, uh, and um, the second century, rather. And uh, St. Clement, in his apostolic constitutions, another very, very early successor of St. Uh, Peter, says that it was St. Matthew who gave us the first formula. We don't have it anymore, but he gave the first formula of the making of holy water and the prayers that would be used. So therefore, uh, Monsignor Gome, Monsignor Gome's an interesting character. It needs to be mentioned as we're talking about holy water. He is a 19th century French, we would say a Monsignor, a prelate of honor to the Pope, who wrote a number of very useful and very Catholic and erudite little books. He wrote a book on, on holy water, and um, he, 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 he speaks about, he speaks about the, the, the history going back now to the, the apostles. So holy water is of, we believe, apostolic institution. How it came possibly, some historians say, the possible track of how holy water came to be used in the churches would be this, that as a continuation of the Old Testament practice, and out of respect, the um, faithful coming to Mass would, first of all, wash their hands, or maybe their hands and their feet, and uh, as, as a symbol of the interior purification that's required. This water that was used for that purification, perhaps originally, was, uh, was blessed, and then it came, came to be traditional that the water should be sprinkled over everyone after the original idea of the individual washing in holy water uh, fell into abeyance. Here, as with um, fasting, the Mohammedans bear a, a twisted but, uh, but an interesting historical witness. You know that Mohammed was the first ecumenist. He took a little bit of this and a little bit of that. He borrowed a lot of current church practices, so that's the 6th or the 7th century. Uh, and so if the Mohammedans insist on washing themselves before they enter into their mosque, that's because Christians were doing that before they entered into their churches. That's where he got it from, just as the Mormons, Joseph Smith, borrowed a tremendous amount of... Um, Freemasonic ritual for the the Mormon Church. So to uh, here uh, they they borrowed from they borrowed from the uh, the Catholic Church. Interesting uh, 
uh, you might say, an interesting witness that is, that, that is given here to the, to the antiquity and perhaps one of the original uses of holy water. Well, thank you for that very interesting history, my lord. And we've uh, pretty much run out of time now, so uh, thank you very much for the, the whole discussion. And I just need to uh, r- remind our listeners that rest- the work of Restoration Radio and uh, True Restoration uh, Media is completely or mostly listener-supported, and uh, the entire endeavor that we're putting before uh, forward is something that's never been attempted previously uh, in the half century since the end of Vatican II. So I'd ask listeners, what was today's show worth to you? Uh, was it worth $1, $5, $10? Whatever it is, be it as small as $1, please consider making a donation to our apostolate and don't leave it to someone else to do it. We have thousands of listeners, so even if only a small percentage of you gave some kind of donation, this would be of great assistance in developing and producing even more shows than what we currently have. And uh, as I say, we're 100% listener-supported with some help from True Restoration Media, which is, of course, supported by its customers uh, as well and benefactors. So you can go to truerestoration.org and click on the Donate button at the bottom of the page, or you can also support our work by shopping on www.truerestorationpress.com, which is part of the True Restoration Media Group. And as mentioned at the beginning of the show, I also ask listeners to consider supporting the very important work of Bishop Dolan, and even if though you... If you're not a member of St. Gertrude the Great uh, Parish, they do have a live streaming uh, mass that uh, is put out uh, that anybody can avail themselves of. If you're an individual who's in a location where you don't have ready access to to the mass, uh, that's uh, something that you uh, can benefit from. And there's also a large number of articles, and you can download uh, Bishop Dolan's sermons from sggresources.org. So please consider supporting all that as well. And on sggresources.org, there's a donate button there as well that you can uh, click on to uh, to make a donation. So um, and uh, also uh, uh, all of uh, this show will be available for podcasts. Uh, to be downloaded uh, shortly after the show ends. Uh, All of our shows uh, can be downloaded from iTunes if you just go on there and search uh, True Restoration Radio or if you just, I'm sure if you search Bishop Dolan, uh, you'll find us on iTunes. So thank you uh, once again, my Lord, for a very uh, informative uh, and interesting discussion. Well, you're very welcome. I, if if you would permit, Nicholas, I would like to conclude with a prayer. But before doing so, I would like to make an offer to uh, the faithful you just alluded to, those who may be very far from a true Mass, and maybe they wouldn't have any source, any source, any access to real holy water. I say real holy water because it has to be properly blessed and exercised with the salt and the water by by a properly ordained Catholic priest. Unfortunately, the number of validly ordained priests in the world is, is actually very small today. So if there is someone who can't get holy water, write to me, and you can give me a little offer if you'd like to, and I will be very happy to send you a little container, we'll wrap it up as carefully as possible, of holy water for you to use. While it's wonderful to use holy water in abundance, you can even just just a drop or two brings about all of its efficacious uh, benefits. So if you write to me, I will send you, uh, and, and very happily so, I will send you this very powerful sacramental. Now, if we could conclude then with a prayer. This is a prayer from a, it's a wonderful prayer book. It's called Precious Blood and Mother. I recommend it, really. It's, I, I believe it's published by the Sister Adores of the Precious Blood in Canada. And um, there are a m- number of beautiful devotional prayers. And here's one uh, that is, that is uh, given as a prayer to recite when taking holy water. By the sprinkling of thy precious blood, O Lord Jesus, and by the merits of thy sacred passion, wash me from every stain and cleanse my soul from all sin. Amen. God bless you, and I hope to to be with all of you again uh, next uh, month when we'll continue our study of the Catholic devotions.
Yes, thank you very much, Mord. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. And I'm going to end uh, with our with some uh, music. But just before I do that, if you want to take advantage of Bishop Dolan's offer of holy water, the address for Saint Gertrude the Great Church is four nine zero zero Rialto Road, R I A L T O, Westchester, Ohio. Uh, zip code is four five zero six nine. So again, that's forty nine hundred Rialto Road. Westchester, Ohio, four five zero six nine. So thank you again, Lord, and uh, thank you to all of our listeners for listening to Devotions with Bishop Daniel Dolan on the Restoration Radio Network. You're welcome. God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.